What's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to ask a big, big favor of you. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are a really great way to help me figure out what you guys like about the podcast. And today's episode would not be possible without the support of AVMA PLIT. Be sure to learn more and visit avmaplit.com. Today's podcast is really exciting for me because we're welcoming on a really awesome guy, Dr. George Robinson. He is the CEO of Heartland Veterinary Partners, a really, really cool company. I first saw Dr. George speak to us uh, at Mizzou at a VBMA meeting. I also met him uh, at a, a Vegas conference uh, about a year ago, and he has such a great story to tell. I'm really excited to pick his brain today about corporate medicine, how his company is different, and things to look out for uh, when you're finding your first job and determining if you want to go to a corporate company or a private practice. So let's get to it. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. George. How's it going? It's going well. Going well. Good. I am so honored that you are willing to join me on the podcast today. We had, you and I had met back in Vegas, uh, I guess it was about a year ago now, um, got to know each other a little bit there. And then you came to speak at Mizzou, uh, a couple of months ago to our VBMA group. And, and again, had a really awesome conversation from you. So I kind of wanted to continue that and share with, with my listeners on the podcast about your vast knowledge and, and awesome insight for veterinary students. Cause you, you are a very powerful, and, and motivating guys. So, uh, so thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. So the first thing that I wanted to ask, uh, of you is just to give a bit of a, a background about yourself and you've got a really cool story. Um, so yeah, so what's, what's your journey been like and what are you doing? Well, yeah, my story is so interesting because, uh, by whatever intention I, I've done, like almost Everything you can do in the profession. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I attended LSU School of Veterinary Medicine, uh, graduated and went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. and got a master's in public health. Uh, came back and decided that uh, I wanted to start a practice and go into practice. So I worked uh, with a general practice for a little over a year. And then I started on, out on my own uh, with my own small animal practice, grew the practice, uh, enjoyed living in New Orleans, and uh, had all the bells and whistles and, and just uh, had a good quality of life as a, as a practicing veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, after a certain period, I just was ready to do something a little different, and uh, I sold my practices and moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, In Atlanta, I worked for a group practice and uh, it was a lot of fun. I I, I just kind of wanted to not manage anything and just kind of just work and go home. Right. So uh, (laughs) I I did a lot of emergency work. I I, I worked in general practice, had a great time uh, and uh, decided, well, you know, I'm ready to move on from this and, and work in another practice in Atlanta. Uh, I was playing golf with the, the guy who owned the practices. It was a five practice uh, group. And he, he, 
he reminded me that uh, my non-compete would have me not practicing for a year. Right. So as soon as the golf match was over, I ran home, pulled out a map, and looked, took a protractor. I mean, most people don't even know what that is anymore, but I <laughs> took a protractor and circled the areas around the practices where I had worked, and I was essentially out of the city of Atlanta. Right. Like, completely. Uh, so I uh, tried to figure out what I wanted to do, so I worked in Athens, Georgia, at the emergency clinic, which I hear is no longer there. Okay. But, uh, I worked there and went down to uh, Florida on vacation. When I was on vacation, the headhunter for Banfield called me and said, George, I know you hate corporate medicine and all that, but just go look. And I was like, okay, I'll go. So I went to the practice and saw it and said, oh, my gosh, I think I could like this. Mm -hmm. So I joined Banfield in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, after a year working as a GP, uh, the management at Banfield was like, Dr. George, you really need to be in management. So they pushed me to be the medical director. I thought I was going to be the medical director in Florida, and I ended up being the medical director of San Diego, California. That's quite had a change. Had never lived in California, by the way. Uh, so I got to, uh, to, to Florida, I mean to uh, California, managed San Diego, uh, did an exceptional job, and they asked me to manage Las Vegas in addition to uh, San Diego. Then they asked me to do Orange County. Then they asked me to do Arizona. And then eventually I became the uh, medical director for the Western United States. So that was from Minnesota all the way down to uh, to, to the border. Uh, wow. Uh-oh. Wow. So uh, I, I ended up being the medical director for the Western United States. And with that, uh, certainly I was in the upper management team of Banfield. Uh, I hired and supervised 198 practices and uh, had a lot of veterinarians working with me and for me and got to really get a lot of insight into the good and bad of corporate medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, so when Mars took over, Banfield, I left because I, I, I just had a bad vibe about me continuing in the leadership uh, when I really didn't have much of a say in anything that transpired. Sure. Uh, so left Banfield and did relief work all over, all over the country practically for several years, uh, enjoyed it immensely. And the cool thing about it, though, I got to come in as the relief guy, and most of the time, I generated more revenue than the doctor who, who I was relieving for. And uh, but I got to see a lot of practice management systems and a lot of practices, and I got to talk with all the para staff, kind of as a confidant, about what what they liked and what they didn't like about working at this practice. And I saw the passion that everyone had associated with veterinary practice in a lot of different spheres or milieus. It was interesting. Uh, Northern California, 
Southern California, Florida, Georgia. I was all over the country. Wow. So that gave me a lot of insight into, I said, man, when I get a chance to, to go back into management, I'm going to think and focus on a few things that I think could really make a difference in, in the practice of veterinary medicine. So uh, long story short, I was recommending someone for a position in leadership at NVA, National Veterinary Associates. Mm -hmm. And a headhunter said, well, George, what are you doing? I was like, well, I, uh, I'm doing relief work all over the country. I would relieve for like a week and then go spend a week in Jamaica. Then via the wonders of cyberspace, I would arrange a new gig and fly back to the country, do my thing, and then go back to Jamaica. So I was having a good time. But NVA convinced me to come and manage uh, the Midwest for the company. So I started with 12 practices and grew the Midwest to 43 when I left. Wow. But like in a lot of corporate situations, what happens is uh, the business people think they know more than we do uh, about the veterinary business and they stop listening and uh, it becomes an uncomfortable place for a veterinarian to work. So I left NVA and started working with uh, the Tyree D'Angelo uh, private equity group to start Heartland Veterinary Partners. And what we decided to do with Heartland was Okay, we're going to partner with doctors. And we're going to be extremely veterinarian friendly. And we're going to create like a better mousetrap. Not that the others are, are, are seriously bad, but we want to do a unique vet-centric, staff-centric kind of model where the practices can grow, where we don't brand the practices, where they're comfortable practicing veterinary medicine. Uh, we want our doctors to practice meaning we want them to have fun. We want them to perform procedures that they're comfortable with. Uh, it won't be protocol based. And we want them to make a good living doing what they're doing. Right. So with that combination, we started Heartland, uh, let's see, June 1st of 2016. And as of December, Probably by the end of the year, we'll be over 50 practices. Wow, terrific. Yeah, and uh, we hope to continue to grow and bring more people into the, the Hartman family. And But the thing about it is we don't take everybody. We want a good fit. So we like practices where the practice is a cool place to work, that they, they have a, a legacy tied into their communities uh, where the quality of the medicine's good, just a, just a very wonderful experience so that any new doctor who wants to come enjoy one of our practices should be able to uh, integrate into the practice and have a good time. That's great. So it sounds like you guys have a pretty unique way of, of, of running the business, a bit different than, than, say, one of the bigger corporates. So can we talk about kind of the, the pros and cons of what uh, especially what new graduates are seeing as they come out of vet school. And we have so many you know, options now in terms of the types of practices we work for. And with the the really big 
uh, upswing of of these corp these big corporate companies coming in and snatching up private practices, it's it's not uncommon for us to find ourselves landing our, our first job uh, with a corporate practice. So, in your opinion, what what are the pros and cons of working for, let's say, one of the more uh, the 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 big corporate companies like you know Banfield, VCA, uh, NVA? Uh, and then compare that with with a, a smaller uh, corporate group like Heartland. One of the advantages of working with one of the bigger groups, particularly Banfield, is, okay, Banfield's protocol-based. If you're kind of unsure about your comfort zone as a, as a GP and, and you need that hand-holding, then that may be exactly up your alley where you you have a protocol based computer system that kind of shows you and guides you through your, uh, like an algorithm, a process of thinking Mm -hmm. about a case. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Being able to call a medical advisor to assist you and and kind of guide you through things. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, The problem that I have with it is that, well, a lot of folks want the freedom to kind of make their own decisions based on what they're seeing and what they've examined, and and they want to feel comfortable that it, it coexists with what the client's interested in, what's good for the pet, and what's good for their their uh, their practice standard. Right, uh, and that can be a problem with, I guess, a Banfield model. Sure. Um, Heartland, of course, does it differently. What we try to do is get you mentorship, where you have an experienced doctor who's guiding you through the the art of veterinary practice. So we give them certain guidelines, like, for instance, communication, how often you guys should should communicate, uh, what you're going to talk about, what you're going to um, focus on. What are your weak points? What are your strong points? And what do you want to do? Like, who do you want to be in practice? And we we customize that for the individual doctor to give them a positive experience. Everybody kind of learns differently and develops their confidence levels differently. And we try to cater to that because I've been in every situation that a new doctor is going through. And I empathize with a lot of different mentalities. So if I understand kind of what's going to work for you to help you become a good doctor, then I'll push you in that direction. Great. And the, the cool thing that I've, I've learned from you um, and learning more about the, the, the real world, if you will, as I'm closer to, to being out of vet school, is that when we talk about corporate practices – I think it's pretty common for for vet students to think that, oh, I'm going to a corporate practice. That means that they must fit this one model because they're corporate. But after talking with you and learning more about the corporate industry is that all of these companies, corporate, uh, corporate depending on what size they are, they all have a different flavor and a different style of running their business, which is exactly what you're talking about. Indeed. And, and those styles will dictate kind of your success level uh, in veterinary medicine, or at least in your initial uh, years of practice. 
And, right. and what's what's normally said is that the habits you learn those first few years will follow you throughout your career sure. as a practitioner. Sure. Right. And and the other thing too is that I think sometimes for some people, hearing about they're going to this practice to to look at for maybe future employment and it's corporate that there's maybe a negative connotation with it, which in my opinion there really shouldn't be. It's just the way that the practice is managed. And it all is going to depend on the the culture you're looking for, the style, the mentorship that that, that, that practice offers. Um, because that can make all the difference in the world between a really, really big corporately owned practice versus uh, a corporate company that owns four practices. Everything's going to be different. Exactly. And, and knowing who that mentor is going to be and their style and and accountability that is that is huge right that is great stuff after we take a very quick break i want to change subjects just a bit and get your insight about the current climate on how corporate companies and corporate medicine is kind of changing the veterinary space and how that's going to affect us as we start to look for jobs and start to practice. But first, give me a chance to give a big thanks to today's sponsor, AVMA PLIT. So let me tell you a little bit about AVMA PLIT. If you've listened to episode 27 of the podcast, you know the importance of organized veterinary medicine, and PLIT is a huge part of that. They are part of the AVMA family, and they protect veterinarians throughout their careers, starting in veterinary school. In addition to providing free, yes, free malpractice coverage for veterinary students, PLIT supports students and schools through sponsorships. They sponsor organizations like VBMA, VLE, SAVMA, many others. So watch your email throughout the school year for email announcements from PLIT student ambassadors and visit avmaplit.com unleashed to see when PLIT's trust veterinarians are visiting your school. Luckily, I have not had the opportunity to use my PLIT liability insurance while I've been in school, and I hope I never have to, even when I'm out of school. But PLIT is a great company and organization to work with. They really care about students, and they have our back in everything that we do, not only in the classroom and not only in our clinical rotations, but out on externships as well. They really care about vet students. AVMA PLIT is always looking for new ways to support the future of veterinary medicine, the profession, and students like us. If you haven't already enrolled, you need to do it now. It is free. So visit avmaplit.com unleashed, sign up for free, and get enrolled today. Let's switch gears for a second and talk about what you're seeing out in the industry in terms of this this corporate um, wave coming into the industry. Because um, I know that some people are a little worried or maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, what's the word? We're, we're really unsure about what the, the, the industry is going to look like. Uh, in the next five, 10 years, because we're seeing such a, a change in, in practice ownership. So I'll, I'll pose this, this really grandiose question to you. Do you think that corporate companies are going to take over the, at least the small animal industry and kind of make private practice owners or ownership obsolete? <laughs> Great question. No, it, it, it's not going to happen. Uh, one is, is just the veterinary model leans to private 
a one or two or three doctor practice. It, you know, you, you, you can put your shingle up and, and, and the clientele will be very responsive to a one, two or three doctor practice. Right. When you, when you talk to, to veterinary clients, most of the time, they don't say, oh, yeah, I have this great, I go to this great place, just this uh, doc in the box, and they talk about, oh, yeah, I go to Dr. Johnson, and she's wonderful. They relate to the individual doctor. Right. Or to the, the experience they get at that particular practice, and people love that. That's why they go to the vet. They, they, they love the experience. Sure. From statistics that I have, in five years, at an aggressive pace, an aggressive pace, consolidators would probably own less than 15% of the practices in America. And that's so, a lot smaller number than I was expecting you to say. Yeah. And I mean, th this is reliable data. So some people think, well, they're taking over. No, we're not taking over. It's, uh, like I said, by 2025, less than 15%. Right. Now, that, that's in the, the GP model. In the specialty model, there is a difference because Mars Company has acquired a lot of specialty practices, VCA. Sure. Um, uh, uh oh. VCA and uh, Blue Pearl. Blue Pearl? Yeah, right. Yeah. And a few other specialty. Matter of fact, Mars probably controls like about 70% of the specialty market. Holy moly. So when you're when you're at that level, then that that is grounds for concern. Right. The other thing that I, I wonder is going to happen, and I and I I'm not sure if my facts are totally correct with this, but I believe that years ago, maybe not too far in the distant past, that this corporate consolidation uh, was happening in the dentistry industry mm -hmm. and that we're starting to see a bit of a reversal now um, where private practice owners are coming back and corporate um, entities like like a Mars-type company are selling off the practices they had that they had bought. Do you think that we would see that? And I, and I guess I'm talking about companies of the size of, of Mars um, and, and the like, that maybe in the future that for some reason, whatever that may be, they will not see the the veterinary practices as profitable as they are seeing them now, and they will start to get rid of them. And so we'll start to see kind of a reversal of what is happening now. Well, it's hard to predict the business cycle. Uh, it's possible. It's certainly possible. That's all I can okay. say on that. Yeah. yeah. But cool. uh, yeah, it's hard to predict. Sure. Uh, and I guess that's the the beauty of business. So, um, cool. So uh, another switch of the gears here, and and I wanted to ask you to to share some insight uh, for for veterinary students that are are looking a little bit further into their future post veterinary school, looking at those first jobs, looking at externship experiences, and in your opinion, what they should be looking for in these practices that are going to make them a successful vet, because like you said. That first year, two years, three years can really set that foundation of how you're going to practice the rest of your life. So what's your advice for, for us that are starting to look for post-vet school 
jobs and post-vet school life, what should we be looking for in a practice? I would, I would observe the practices flow, uh, and how much time they spend with the clients. You know, are you going to be able to spend half an hour, 45 minutes per client? I mean, you need to understand how to, uh, utilize your time efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but someone should be able to teach you that. So you want you want a mentor who is going to give you a lot of freedom, of course, but will will be able to coach you through all the different pitfalls you can have in practicing. Uh, right. You want to be able to use the equipment. You know, you don't want to have an ultrasound machine sitting there and it's like, well, you can't use that. Right. Right. So you want to be able to to know that they're going to get you the, the, the training necessary to use equipment. Uh, in my opinion, you want to be able to perform multiple procedures in-house. You don't want to turf everything right. to like an emergency clinic or a specialty clinic. Uh, you want to be able to, to practice veterinary medicine, all the things you've learned. Right. So you need to know that the team that that practice is going to offer you that opportunity. Um, the staff of the practice and how they treat their staff and how their staff is going to treat you is a big deal. Because if the staff sees you as like a secondary figure, you're going to have to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to convince them that you're worth their, their attention. Right. And that's not good, but it happens a lot where all of a sudden you become like the junior doctor. But I think your degree says the same thing everybody else's degree says. Right, right. Yeah, I would say that arguably the culture of the practice may be the most important, at least in what I'm thinking. Because if you don't like the people you're working for, if, if you guys aren't jiving, that could totally negate all the great medicine you're going to be able to perform because your life's going to be miserable. Yep, that is a big deal. And, and you need to, to know that they're going to give you the green light to to practice, to, to, to try things, to experiment. I mean, there, there's going to be procedures that the first time you do it, you may not do it that well. So why not have somebody like kind of at your, on your shoulder, watching, helping if you need it, right. or being within arm's distance? You have cases you want to be able to discuss. You want somebody who's not aggravated when you ask them about a case. Sure. You know, you, you want someone who's going to welcome that kind of interaction. Uh, and you want the practice to be properly equipped. Uh, I would go in. I've had some doctors ask me just point blank, look, am I going to have X, Y, Z equipment? And I look them in the eye and tell them, yep. And make sure that that happens. Because right. if, you, if you're going to be under-equipped and you're not going to have the right tools that you need to do the job, it's going to slow down your, your, your progress and your development as a doctor. Sure. Sure. And I think too, the other, another really good piece of advice that I recently heard is that even if let's, let's use ultrasound for an example, that they have an ultrasound machine and, and that's one of the areas of medicine you want to get better at, uh, and you would like some mentorship in, uh, in your, in your first job. It is totally different. If you ask them, do you have an ultrasound machine? And they say, yes. And if they do ultrasound only once a month versus if they do ultrasound once a day. 
So that can make a whole difference in, in how much ultrasound experience you're going to get. It doesn't matter if they've got that ultrasound machine if they're not using it. Exactly. Uh, so that's actually something that I really hadn't thought about asking because it, 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 it wasn't that obvious to me because you'd think that if they had the equipment, they'd be using it. But I guess it's probably more common that that they have the, these really cool pieces of equipment, be it uh, blood machines or ultrasound or uh, surgical laser, whatever. It, it, but if they're not using it, it may, it may as well be obsolete to you if, if you don't have the training in it. Right. And you want the commitment that they're going to get you trained. Right. Not, not around to it or eventually I'll do it. You want the commitment that they're going to get you trained because if not, a year could pass and you still haven't utilized the equipment. Right. Right. Cool. Well, that's great advice. All of it. Um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate all of your, your insight and your enthusiasm. Um, can you tell us where we can find out more about you, Heartland Veterinary Partners, and, and everything you're doing right now? Uh, several ways. Uh, uh, probably the easiest is just to go to LinkedIn and uh, find my profile and send me a note, and I'll be happy to, to answer, respond. We can chat on the phone, whatever whatever you need. I, I'm not too busy to to reach out and, and give you any kind of assistance or give you my point of view. Awesome. That is perfect. All right, Dr. George, I appreciate everything. This has been fantastic. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Um, thanks for coming on. I did. Thank you. And thank you to today's sponsor for their support, AVMA PLIT. Learn more about all of the great things that AVMA PLIT can offer you both as a student and as a veterinarian by visiting their website at avmaplit.com. Also find them on Facebook and Instagram. One more huge thank you to Dr. George Robinson of Heartland Veterinary Partners. Be sure to find him on LinkedIn and check out his website at heartlandvetpartners.com. And last and certainly not least, thank you for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. If you feel so inclined, I would love it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes and let us know what you think about the podcast. For resources and more information about Vet School Unleashed, be sure to check us out at vetschoolunleashed.com. Be sure to find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet and on Facebook. Feel free to also reach out via email at Seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast and would love to hear your thoughts on any suggestions or topics you'd want to hear us talk about. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, dissecting the DVMs.